Today, Between Patient Stories episodes, we are sharing an episode with you from another podcast related to genetics that we think many of our listeners may enjoy, DNA Today. Kira Deneen is a genetic counseling student and the host of DNA Today. DNA Today informs you on what's happening in the genetics world. In this episode, Kira interviews me about Gray Genetics, a telehealth company and the sponsor of Patient Stories. If you'd like to hear more about what we're up to at Gray Genetics, continue listening. If you'd like to hear Kira interview other guests about current issues in genetics, look for the link in the show notes. New episodes of DNA Today are released on the first Friday of the month. You can find DNA Today on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and iTunes. Look for those links in the show notes. How is it that we find ourselves surrounded by such complexity, such elegance? The genes of you and me, the genes of you and me, we're all made of DNA. We're all made of the same chemical DNA. Hi, you're listening to DNA Today, a genetics podcast and radio show. I'm your host, Kira Deneen. On this show, I explore genetics and how it impacts our health, typically through interviews with genetic experts such as genetic counselors, researchers, doctors, patient advocates, and more. Today's episode continues my new crossover series, this time with Gray Genetics podcast called Patient Stories, which is just as it sounds. It features patient stories through interviews with patients, patient advocates, and genetic counselors. The show explores the impact of genetics on people's lives, very similar to this show. And returning as a guest for this episode is the host of Patient Stories, Eleanor Griffith. For those that have been listening to this podcast for a long time, you may recognize her name. She's a returning guest, and she was on episode 71 of the show back in 2017. On that episode, she shared her insight on how to have a competitive genetic counseling grad school application. I also have two other episodes of this topic, episode 87 and 97, where myself and a panel of other genetic counseling grad students discuss the application process, including the match system, which was brand new for my class. So go back and listen to episode 87 and 97 and 71 with Eleanor if you're an applicant or looking at maybe applying. Eleanor Griffith is a board-certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, which is a genetic counseling and consulting company. Her clinical experience includes both prenatal and cancer genetics in both public and private academic hospital settings. She's a member of the admissions committee for Sarah Lawrence College's program and a course instructor um, this past semester at Sarah Lawrence, where she also received her master's and where I'm currently getting my master's. So she was one of my instructors last semester. Well, thanks so much, Eleanor, for coming back on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. So before we launch into what great genetics is and telehealth and genetic counseling and all of that, can you give the listeners a refresher on what the role of a genetic counselor is, which is quite a generic question, but... Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you, you know, probably get different answers from different people and maybe like different answers from me this time than last time. <laughs> but uh, genetic counselors, we have master's degrees in medical genetics, human genetics. Um, sometimes the title of the degree is different, but there's a common certifying board and we all sit for the same national board certification exam. And it's really um, learning medical genetics really more so at the disease level and then also counseling skills. 
And in terms of the role of a genetic counselor, it really is sort of a moving target. So traditionally, genetic counselors worked in hospitals. A genetic counselor was a specialist that a doctor would refer to in certain situations. For instance, if you came in um, with breast cancer at a young age or a family history of breast cancer at a young age, or if there were abnormal findings on ultrasound or you were pregnant and after the age of 35, just certain specific indications that would prompt a referral. Increasingly, though, genetic counselors also work in other settings, in labs for commercial genetic testing companies, um, supporting physicians in positions at those labs, um, and also in telehealth roles. Um, So speaking with patients, but not necessarily in a hospital, um, but just over the phone. And genetic counselor, I mean, telehealth is becoming a bigger thing in medicine in general, but genetic counseling really does lend itself especially well to telehealth because we are not physicians and we don't do physical exams. So um, meeting with a genetic counselor, it's really going over personal and family medical history, ideally with the benefit of medical records and sometimes test reports. Um, But since a physical exam isn't part of it, it's really something that can be done remotely over the phone or over video conferencing. Because there you're really having a conversation about, as you said, like your your medical history, your family history. You may be educating and talking about either getting genetic testing as an option or genetic testing results. So it's really conversational based. And that's the beauty of where technology is going today in, in healthcare of using things like Skype or Google Hangout or whatever is HIPAA that I'm not aware of that. I'm sure you'll educate <laughs> me later in the episode. Genetic counseling is very much in demand. So I imagine that these telehealth companies like yours are getting a lot of attention and a lot of people signing up for this because wait time for a genetic counselor in person at an institution can be a long time. Yeah, there really, uh, there is, usually we think of it as a shortage of genetic counselors. There's just more patients who physicians want to refer to genetic counseling than they can easily refer to within their own institution, for instance. So telehealth um, is becoming um, like an increasingly popular option, I think. Uh, and and it can actually be really nice for a patient too. It can be easier. There's, there's something that can be really nice about meeting with a person face-to-face, sitting down in a room, taking your time. But, you know, most patients work or if they don't work and they have disabilities, then it's hard to get to an in-person appointment for another reason. Um, and I can say that like for myself, switching from being in a clinical in a clinical role, like physically in person to working with patients over the phone or video conferencing, um, it was definitely a shift where I initially really preferred working with patients in person and then kind of realized, well, I felt more comfortable because I was in my office. (laughs) But for a patient, you know, they're in like a foreign environment. And sometimes I find that patients seem more comfortable when they're at home. So, you know, with telehealth, it can be on your own schedule. It can be during your lunch break at work, um, at home in the evening, and you're not necessarily missing work for that appointment. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it, of being able to be kind of in your own safe space to have these conversations and to also be able to 
focus maybe a little bit better. I know like I focus much better like at my desk and I work from home a lot of the time and, um, you know, people may be used to that and it can fit in with things of, you know, maybe the kids are in the other room or something so they can kind of watch them and they don't have to get um, a babysitter or something like that. So there's a, a lot of advantages to it. And I think that, as you said, like genetic counseling is a moving target um, as to what our role is in healthcare, uh, but also just technology impact on healthcare and how that's affecting um, kind of the the angle of the patient will see you now where it's shifting into what the patient's role is in their own healthcare and everything. And um, so it's, it's interesting to see where these things are going. Yeah, totally. And our, so Great Genetics, um, it is a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting company. So we do contract with institutions to provide genetic counseling services, but we also have patients who just book appointments with us directly online. Um, so kindly, kind of like you were saying, it's just there are patients out there now who are more proactive, who are looking for information and advice. Um, genetic testing is more readily accessible. So patients more often end up with test results in hand that they may have questions about. <laughs> or some, you know, savvier patients may also just, you know, kind of before their physician orders testing might say, well, like, wait, I actually want to talk to someone who knows a little bit more about this and think more about like what I'm going to do and how this information would be helpful to me. So it's interesting that you work not only with um, people looking to book appointments with you for genetic counseling sessions, but there's also another side to it where you're working with other companies and institutions, organizations. Yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of meeting the need that you were that you were mentioning, where there's um, there can be a long wait time for genetic counseling, um, or sometimes an institution wants to have a full time on site genetic counselor, but you know most programs graduate students in the spring, and then there's kind of the game of musical chairs, and some institutions are not going to get that <laughs> full time on site genetic counselor that they hoped that they were going to be able to hire. Um, so sometimes we step in and provide those those like kind of even just interim services. Um, you know, even if their ideal is to have a full-time on-site genetic counselor, it could be a really good flexible option. So what types of genetic counseling sessions do you offer? We kind of hinted at the beginning of the show saying that there's a lot of different areas of healthcare that genetic counseling is in. And even we talk about neuro, cardiac, pediatric, prenatal cancer. I mean, we could start rattling things all day, but what do you provide at Great Genetics? Yeah, so the answer is kind of all of those. And that's because gray genetics is not just me. So in starting out my company, I kind of dipped my toe in with private practice to figure out my systems, um, kind of scheduling systems, HIPAA compliance systems, video conferencing systems. But my intention was always to build a platform really to connect patients and genetic counselors, sort of like Airbnb meets ZocDoc. So genetic counseling really is becoming increasingly specialized. For instance, I started out in prenatal genetic counseling, really enjoyed that. But the time, you know, since I was working full time in prenatal genetic counseling, so many things have changed. Um, my more recent experiences in cancer genetic counseling, and then that just keeps changing and exploding too. So I think increasingly, some genetic counselors are kind of the rare bird where they're like fine seeing all different consult types, but more and more people do specialize where they're just like really expert in one particular area. Um, so we have a number of different genetic counselors who are listed on the website um, who are specialized in different areas and patients who are looking to book an appointment, whether it's in cancer, cardiovascular, family planning, prenatal, they can they can either choose to book an appointment type by prioritizing that session type 
or then they can actually browse our list of genetic counselors and read those genetic counselors' bios, look at their background, see what they list as their specialty areas, and kind of deciding who they think would be most helpful for them to meet with. And for people to get a better sense of what it would look like going into it, why do people sign up for sessions? What's a few common reasons why people are like, oh, I need genetic counseling and come to Great Genetics? Yeah. So one common reason uh, would just be family history of cancer. Just That's just something that's so common and gets so much attention in the news. Um, so someone who has a family history of cancer, who is thinking about testing, but just really wants to talk to someone who's really informed um, before they go ahead with that testing. Sometimes Sometimes there's patients who, you know, their doctor has recommended testing to them, but wants them to get genetic counseling first. Sometimes there's a patient where their genetic, their sorry, where their physician has, you know, talked to them about genetic testing, but they're, they're a little hesitant or they they want to talk to someone who knows more than it seems like their physician does. <laughs> um, so that's, cancer would be a really common one. Um, some women too, just kind of with all of the different tests out there now for women who are, who are pregnant and who are planning pregnancies often, you know, I'm located in New York, even though it's telehealth, we have a lot of patients in the New York area and, you know, you can't get an appointment with an OB until you're pregnant often. Um, but women kind of reading ahead and wanting to plan and get on top of things like want to walk into that first appointment more informed, um, and kind of have a game plan instead of just kind of being hit with, with things like as they happen once they're like eight or 10 weeks pregnant. And can you give people a better sense of once they log on, they're choosing maybe their genetic counselor or they're looking for a time slot for their appointment, um, how does it work from there? Do they get a confirmation about a scheduling? Um, where, What kind of platform are they going on for the appointment? Is it just phone? Yeah. So when they book an appointment, so they book you book an appointment online through the site, you do have to provide a credit card at the time of booking. The exception is if you're referred through an institutional um, client with which we have a contract. Um, and in that case, there's like a special code that's used to bypass that. But routinely provide a credit card at the time of booking. And when booking, you actually have the option of saying whether you would prefer a video conferencing appointment or a phone appointment. So kind of our default or what I like kind of suggest to people is a video conferencing appointment. I think that I, I personally like that you get like a little bit better connection with a patient. I get some visual cues to like what's going on and like some, you know, communication is nonverbal. Um, but some patients just prefer phone or that's easier with their internet connection and that works fine too. So they actually select that option at the time of booking, answer a few questions. Uh, for a patient who actually has test results, there's an option to upload test results online as they're booking the appointment. Um, and then they receive an automatic email confirmation and receive a link to that video conferencing appointment or a call-in number um, that can also be like a backup number if, um, you know, if the video conferencing doesn't work, they have tech issues or whatever, whatever, whatever things that happen with technology. <laughs> yes, there's always, there's always difficulties Yeah, <laughs> um, at some point in the process. But so do people need to qualify for an appointment or can anyone come on there and say, oh, I, I have a family history of cancer or I want to have a kid and I'm not sure if there's something I need to know about it genetically? Um, what does that look like? 
Yeah, so it's interesting you ask that question. So there are certain referral criteria to genetic counseling um, that professional guidelines lay out that kind of physicians should be watching for when they should be referring patients. But when it comes to patients who self-refer to genetic counseling, especially for a service like this, um, you know, we're happy to see anyone. Um, we don't take insurance, so it is all out of pocket. So I would say like more often we do see people who, you know, have a significant family history or something something that they're more concerned about. But there are, you know, there are those other people who are like, you know, <laughs> I don't think that there's anything major, but there's just like, you know, a physician's never really taken my family history. And I know that there's a lot out there about genetics, you know, like, what's this 23 in me? Like, what can it do for me? So just those more proactive patients, um, you want to make sure that they're doing everything possible for their health and want to figure out if and how genetic testing might fit into that. And since you don't take insurance, um, and some people may say, oh, maybe this is too expensive for me. Um, do you offer any discounts for financial hardship? Yeah. So uh, definitely not taking insurance is a non-starter for some people. Um, but we've actually found for some other people that the issue with insurance is it's just like, you don't really know how much something's going to cost <laughs> until it's over. And sometimes that can be months afterwards. So if, if you know, for places that take insurance, um, when I was kind of looking into setting this up and talking to other GCs and genetic counselors in private practice, if something's like out of network, then you're still going to get a bill, but then maybe you're not sure how much it's going to be. So the one thing with like paying out of pocket is like the prices are just like very upfront and you know what they are. Um, we do offer currently, um, half off specifically for cancer genetic counseling related to a significant family history of cancer for people who were at poverty level. Um, and then longer term. So this is still a pretty young company. Longer term, one of the goals would be for people who are booking appointments, who are able to pay out of pocket. My my experience in genetic counseling, like generally over the course of my career has been, you know, like there's some patients who really appreciate it. Um, some are like, that was fine. I could have talked to my doctor. And then there's some who's just like, that was the most amazing service. <laughs> like so many people should have access to this. So to really create an option for um, patients who have that um, that reaction and really think that it's such a valuable service and have that, um, have the means to be able to like sponsor a genetic counseling appointment for someone who, who does not have that same income level. Yeah. Which is um, awesome. And it really allows genetic counseling to have kind of further outreach and be able to reach those populations that may not be seeking genetic counseling elsewise. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of that too, in contracting through institutions, that's one way that we do end up working with some of those, you know, some of those patients anyway, but, um, you know, everything, everything has a cost, <laughs> at least in a capitalist society. Um, and it's, it's kind of tricky because genetic counseling is a helping profession. And usually, you know, when we've worked in hospitals and in clinics, that cost is kind of hidden. Like we talk to patients about the price of genetic testing and we try to work with them a, a really to insurance coverage um, and really advocate for our patients, but we don't have conversations normally with them about what the cost of our services are, <laughs> which, which are also valuable and have to be paid for in some way. Um, and I think, you know, longer term, definitely the hope is that coverage of genetic counseling by insurance will just become routine. I think so, we're getting there, but it's, it's a process and to be able yeah. to sometimes fight with the insurance companies and say, no, you need to cover these 
this subpopulation um, because they need really to get genetic testing in order to have proper healthcare options for them and everything. So I think that's kind of a, we're, we're getting there slowly. Yeah. And, and I, and in, we'll, we'll give people, for instance, we'll give a receipt if they want to try to submit to their insurance for reimbursement. So that's always an option, but just like as a small company, it's just like too much work to deal with insurance companies. So we just like can't advise as to like whether or not it's going to be covered at what, you know, like how much their, in, their insurance might cover. Um, but, you know, I guess the longer term hope with licensure is that we'll be increasingly recognized. <laughs> that was um, my next question. How did yeah. you know? Yeah, I was going to say I was going to get technical for a minute. Um, <laughs> and just there's it's a little confusing just how all of the that genetic counselors can be certified. They can also be licensed. And that depends on the state what is required in the U.S. Um, totally. How does this play a role if, you know, you're based out of New York here. But if you're talking to a patient in Utah, how does that work? Yeah, so uh, certification that you mentioned. So genetic counselors, after they graduate from from an accredited program, they can sit, normally do sit, for a certification exam. And that exam is national. Um, Now, as licensing has started, the license, though, goes by state. And that's just because we are the United States of America. (laughs) So it's not... I don't know. I think it's it's it seems a little bit silly that you have to get, you know, if I I'm in New York, but if I want to see a patient in Utah, I have to get a license from the state of Utah. But the state of Utah is going to ask me for the same credentials that I already gave to the state of Illinois. So it is it is a little bit silly, um, but that's just kind of like the nature of the United States and how we work. I think the important point there for people to understand just about genetic counseling, if they're looking for a genetic counselor, that as long as a genetic counselor is certified, that's what you want to see. Whereas licensure uh, is just kind of more paperwork, right? You don't need to take another exam to get your licensure. Exactly. And hopefully licensure longer term will mean better access to genetic counseling for patients, better reimbursement. But practically in the short term for someone in my position, for instance, it just means a hassle for the company. <laughs> right. Because, you know, we want to we want to make sure that we have um, genetic counselors available with all the relevant licenses, which we're we're actually really close. So I think by the time this episode comes out, probably any patient who's listening, who's look who wants to meet with a genetic counselor, you know, if they're in a if they're located in a state that has licensure and that's really the question where you're located at the time of your appointment, um, we we by that by the time this is released, we would have a genetic counselor with a license in that state. Yeah, I saw your map of United States and how it all works and which states are what, <laughs> um, which is very yeah. helpful. I'm like, oh, I should save that to refer back yeah. to. Um, but yeah, you guys seem to cover you know vast majority of the area. How many genetic counselors are part of the network? So at this point, aside from me, there are 13 genetic counselors listed. Since recording this episode, Gray Genetics now has over 20 genetic counselors in their network. Which that's a lot. Uh, it is, <laughs> and it's it's a growing number. So in in terms of uh, in terms of any genetic counselor who wants to be listed, like the you know it really is uh, a platform. So anyone who has a diploma and who has a certification can be listed on the network. And I've had I've had new grads or people who are you know expecting to graduate in a couple months also be interested in being listed on the network. So we are looking at opening that up. Um, to people who are not only board certified, but board eligible, which is, which is a little more traditional. Like if you're a new grad and you're applying for a job, usually see BC slash BE for board certified or board eligible. Um, 
but yeah, we do, we have quite a few genetic counselors listed. So with that, um, you know, like one of the goals in having more people listed is, uh, definitely, uh, representation of licensure for different states. But then the other goals are really just, you know, back to specialization, like not every genetic counselor can be good in every area. Um, I worked in cardiovascular genetics briefly, um, with a laboratory. Um, I've been to two heart rhythm society conferences, like in principle, I spent a lot of time with cardiovascular genetics, but if a patient had that issue, like if, if I were a patient with that issue, I would not want to see me <laughs> for cardiovascular genetic counseling. I would want to see like Lori Williams, who, you know, works at the office of the chief medical examiner and works And she with, was on the first episode of your show, yeah, not an earlier one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. She's like the very second, the second interview that um, I did for patient stories. So, you know, she works with inherited um, cardiomyopathies and cardio and, and inherited arrhythmias like day in and day out and works in very curation on that. And that's really her bread and butter. Um, so it's like, if, if I were a patient, I would want to see her and not me. <laughs> um, so that's part of it is just like specialization. And then the other part too, is that, you know, genetic counselors can list their Unless their bio can control their own hours and then patients when they're going through, they can choose, um, you know, who they want to meet with depending on, um, you know, like who, who seems like the best fit for them. And in other, I mean, it's interesting because in other areas where people have advanced degrees, um, whether it's a therapist or a doctor or financial planner or a lawyer, all of those different areas where you might see someone occasionally and pay out of pocket, um, consumers are used to having choices. Like, yes, you pay out of pocket, maybe a couple hundred dollars to meet with a financial planner, a retirement advisor, or a therapist, but like you get to choose who you meet with. And because genetic counseling is such a young field and just so small, usually you just see like whoever happens to live close by <laughs> um, at your local hospital, or if it's with a telehealth company, like typically it's like whatever genetic counselor you, you, you know, you get plugged into someone's schedule. So that is something that's really different is that a patient actually gets to like browse through profiles and choose like whoever they actually want to talk to. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting like concept that I didn't really think of before. Of yeah, if you're going for a therapist, you go to psychology today, you find someone in your area, you're like, oh, I really want a specialist in dialectical behavior therapy or something. You type <laughs> it in and you find one. Um, you'd find my mom if you did that. But um, for this, yeah, you can really narrow in on what kind of genetic counseling. And it used to be okay, genetic counseling in the 70s were just pretty much prenatal. Then we started in cancer, and you know, as I feel like the theme of my show, like every time I'm like, we're in every area of healthcare. If not yet, in the next few years. But it, it really is true. And I think it's, you want to go to someone that's specialized. And even I was listening to, I don't know if it was Laura Hersher's podcast, maybe the Beagle has landed. And she was talking to someone about how in the future, we might get to a point in genetic counseling where people start specializing while they're in their master's program and saying, okay, I'm headed towards, as you said, like cardiovascular or neurogenetics or something. So we'll see how the field changes. But as of now, yeah, everybody gets the same master's level education. And then through their jobs, they start focusing on what area um, they're going to specialize in. And yeah, as you said, you definitely want to pick someone that um, is going to be specialized if you have a very specific family history or topic you want to address. Yeah. And it, and I mean, it, like, I think outside of the field of genetics, there's often an attitude of like, throw a genetic counselor at a genetics prog problem, and like, they'll know the answer. And then like, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah you know, within the field, we're more aware of like, whoa, 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 like I, I could figure that out. But I would maybe I'd be doing like hours of research, whereas someone who works in like neurogenetics, and that's their day in and day out, like they could provide like the best, like most up to date help to a patient, like in a really efficient way. Definitely. Well, before we close out the show, can you give us a teaser of any new projects upcoming? Anything people can look out for? 
Yeah. So actually, um, we're recording this in March. And so at the end of this week, we will be launching a new service. Um, uh, Let's see, I'm going to butcher it because um, I don't know if we've decided what to call it yet, but basically like personalized um, personalized health reports or personalized reviews of either someone's 23andMe results in context with their family history that they provide to us through like a Google form quiz format um, or uh, just a review of their family history. So, and this is really, it's partly to try to offer an alternative to genetic counseling at a lower price point, something that's not quite genetic counseling. It's not a formal genetic counseling session, um, but just more accessible to patients. You might just have a question or two, but they just, you know, it doesn't seem reasonable to them or they don't know enough to know that they like definitely want to like sit down with someone for an hour. Um, and then the other part too, is just like looking at different different ways that people like to receive information. So, um, and I know, I think you've talked about this with Ellen on the podcast too. Um, Ellen Matlock with My Gene Council is like, people are online and people are getting information in different ways and they're Googling around and like, what is a way that we can offer something that's kind of in between traditional genetic counseling and like nothing. (laughs) Um, So that's coming out at the end of this week and we're kind of excited to see what kind of feedback and traction that gets um, and then to, to build on that depending on feedback we get. That's very cutting edge of you to be able to, you know, find this niche within genetic counseling. And as you said, so many people are going for the direct consumer um, testing. So that's the 23andMe, Ancestry, MyHeritage, all of those companies. Um, and I, I don't have the number off the top of my head. I know Ellen has these numbers in her head, but um, there, there's just so many people that are going for this testing and the projected for the next 10 years is like just massive amounts of people that are that are going for it. And I know a lot of people, that's that's what I get. I go to a family function and they're like, oh, can you explain my 23andMe results? And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so I think that's a, a fantastic outlet for people to go to. If, you know, maybe they're not looking for that full session, like you said, but they're like, oh, you know what? I just have a question on, you know, is this variant accurate or what does this this specific result mean? So um, yeah. I'm very interested. I'll have to follow up with you on that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes like in genetic, just because like from a genetic counseling perspective, that question that a patient may have about 23andMe is not the most relevant starting point, but from the individual consumer perspective, well, that is the starting point. That is their question. Um, so trying to like, it's, it's an effort to try to meet people where they are and where their interests are and just kind of like go from there and see what happens. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show and being able to explore more about great genetics and everything. And it's exciting to see where we're headed. Yeah, thanks again, Kira, for having me. Learn more about Eleanor's company, Great Genetics, by going to their website, greatgenetics.com. On Twitter and Instagram, they're at Great Genetics. And for the podcast specifically on Instagram, you can go to Patient Stories Podcast. And on Twitter, it's Great Genetics Pod. If you are looking for more episodes of this show or more information, show notes for this episode, everything you can think of is at dnapodcast.com have over 100 episodes. Not all of them are in the podcast players. So you have to look on the website for a complete listing of all the episodes to enjoy. And I'm on social media on Twitter at DNA Podcast and on Instagram at DNA Radio. Pretty active on there and love interacting with listeners and hearing your feedback for the show, thoughts you may have, ideas, comments, all kinds of things. Love hearing from you. So follow me on there and interact. And if you have direct questions, looking for advice for applying to genetic counseling schools, it's one of the most popular reasons that people reach out to me. Um, you can email in at info at DNA 
Com. And one favor to ask from you, if you could rate and review on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast player you listen on, that would greatly help the show. That is how people find this show. So if you can rate and review, I would really, really appreciate it. And if you screenshot it, I'll definitely follow you on social media and thank you publicly. Thanks for listening and join me next time to learn and discover new advances in the world of genetics. We're all made of the same chemical DNA.